Everybody, welcome to Well, This Isn't Normal with Sarah Benincasa. Whoo, it's not normal. It's still not normal. I've been getting used to some of it. In some ways, it's not that different from my life as a work from home person. In other ways, it's very different. I think the collective anxiety that we're experiencing is quite different. I'm not used to any more, thank God, waking up with um, uh, anxious pain in my chest, but I am now, and it's, to be clear, for me at least, not a sign of, thank God, a heart attack or heart disease. It's anxiety. When it feels like something's just sitting on your chest, it's, it's primal, the fight or flight response is something that a lot of us are experiencing more often than normal lately. So the fight or flight response is your your lizard brain, deep, deep, deep in your beautiful brain, where all your sort of animal survival instincts are stored um, or from whence they come. We've got our friend, the fight or flight response, also called fight, flight or freeze which will be familiar to anyone who has ever uh, tried to ward off an attack or tried to de-escalate a conflict by freezing and just um, go or or just going limp. That's that's a familiar response to some of us in certain situations. So when we perceive an attack, when we perceive a threat, which can be a very real one, or it can be a uh, one that that we simply perceive, right? That is that is not um, actually a bear chasing after us or somebody about to hit us. We, for whatever reason, may believe that is about to happen, even for just a split second, and we go right into fight or flight, which is that our heart starts to beat faster, our respiration um, it changes a little bit. We start to breathe shallowly up in the chest. Uh, are some people clench clench their fists instinctively? Other people experience sweating. Um, they experience instinctive tensing of usually the quadriceps muscles, sometimes the upper arms as well. Uh, some people experience tingling, which is why sometimes the symptom of a panic attack can mimic the symptoms of a heart attack, which is quite confusing for a lot of people and quite frightening understandably. A lot of people first access care for panic attacks by thinking that they're having a heart attack and correctly going to the ER to get checked. So if, if, if you have a question about that or it's in doubt, please, by all means, avail yourself of medical help immediately. Sort it out because they do they do mimic each other. The main difference is that a panic attack is not fatal. Um, But it is deeply uncomfortable because a panic attack occurs when you have gone into fight or flight and um, you start to feel an overwhelming sensation of of terror, of fear. Some people fear they're going to die. Some people just immediately feel like I have to run away from here or else or else. And they don't even get that far to understanding 
what could happen. You know, it's just this instinctive feeling of I have to fight uh, or I have to run away or I have to just freeze absolutely and not move a muscle. Like an animal in the forest who worries they've been spotted, so they freeze to stop movement so as not to attract attention. And so, you know, a panic attack is the, I call it the inverse of an orgasm. Uh, It's in that you um, don't want it to go on for any longer and you never want it to happen again. A panic attack can also sometimes induce nausea. Um, And uh, so for that reason, I say that sometimes a panic attack feels like that moment right before you're about to throw up, but you haven't puked yet. And by this point, you you feel so gross that you really, really want to throw up. Uh, That's a panic attack. (laughs) It's not great. So the panic attack is fight or flight response out of control. Now, fight or flight response in control in a helpful way is say when you're driving down the street and a an animal darts out into the street. Well, you you immediately, you know, you don't even think about it. You flip right into it. You react immediately. You slam on the brakes. You're tense right away. You're ready and you've avoided hitting that animal. That's a good thing. And then you slowly relax. It may take you a little while to come down from that shaken up experience, but your heart rate will return to normal. Your rate of respiration will return to normal. Everything will kind of settle down to to whatever is baseline for you on an ordinary drive down the street. Um, the relaxation exercises that I've shared on past episodes of this show are absolutely designed to help you not just fall asleep, not just relax, but also interrupt the fight or flight response when it is inappropriate, when it is out of alignment with what's necessary. And you may find yourself experiencing fight or flight a lot now because all of us collectively are becoming more vigilant and sometimes hypervigilant. If you find yourself scanning the room for threats, if you find yourself jumping the way that I always do when somebody knocks at the door, if you, which I do just, that's a, (laughs) that's just a baseline thing for me. That's not just like a coronavirus related thing. Um, But you may find yourself starting to experience symptoms of anxiety uh, that are unlike those that you've experienced before. If you are somebody who is a um, a veteran of war, a veteran of military, a survivor, first of all, thank you for your service. Second of all, you probably already know this. I'm probably reaching to the choir on this, but you know that if you have PTSD or complex trauma, complex PTSD, if you are a survivor of MST, military sexual trauma, which happens stateside, it happens abroad, it happens to people serving, men and women serving in our armed forces uh, at an alarming rate. Um, so if you have trauma, uh, grief, etc., related to that, if you are somebody who has been diagnosed with PTSD for other reasons, if you are somebody who has gone through medical trauma If you are somebody who grew up in a household of emotional chaos, if you are an adult child of an alcoholic or addict, if you are yourself um, somebody who endured childhood sexual assault, who endured molestation, who endured um, you're an incest survivor, whatever it may be, there's this whole incredible array of experiences that humans can have. Um, If you have survived trauma due to treatment, 
maltreatment, abuse by law enforcement. Um, if you if you experienced a significant um, trauma related to a, a weather disaster, related to a hurricane, related to flooding, related to tornadoes, uh, earthquake, et cetera, et cetera, all these different. I mean, I couldn't. Uh, this podcast could go on for a thousand years. This single episode, and I don't think we'd be able to get to the exact like every exact possible issue a human could have gone through that could have led them to become hyper vigilant in situations that do not seem to require it. But there's a wonderful book by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, MD, called The Body Keeps the Score. It is an intense book. It is a book that I had to read in doses. It is very helpful. It is very useful. And it chronicles his work for decades on working with trauma and talking about how it's not just an intellectual thing. The body remembers. The body remembers. Even when intellectually we do not remember, the body remembers what was done to us and what we survived. And the beautiful lesson of that book is is how resilient we are and how we can endure. But Please forgive yourself. You didn't do anything wrong if you start to feel this incredible fear coming up or if you start to snap back into some old um, old thought patterns. If you're like, wait a second, my OCD hasn't flared up in years or what this is awful. why I haven't I haven't experienced suicidal ideation in years. I haven't experienced please don't beat yourself up for being human. Please don't beat yourself up for uh, it's not a backslide. It's not a backslide. If, if, if you are somebody who's worked really hard, as I have, you know, I'm speaking to myself as much as to other people as ever on this podcast. Selfish altruism is, is the brand and the brand is strong. Um, shout out to Jesus and Marrow. The Bodega Boys podcast is a very different experience than this one, but it's fucking wonderful. I suggest subscribing. Also, if you're listening to us, the you know the self help Bodega Boys podcast, um, please uh, rate, subscribe, tell your friends, write a kind review if you feel like it um, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify. I don't know if Spotify lets you review. I don't know how things work. Certainly, Apple Podcast does. So, writing those reviews, it takes like 24 hours for them to approve it and for it to upload, but it really does make a difference. Anyway, my point is, do you love how I was able to just suddenly do a fucking commercial break in the middle of a very like grounded, thoughtful speech monologue about trauma? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, selfish altruism. Okay, so anyway, my point is this. Um, please let yourself off the hook. If you're seeing some of those old behaviors and old patterns start to surface, you can check them. You can use the tools you have. You can acquire new tools. It can be as simple as going to ramdas.org and reading some of the writings and meditations there. It can be as simple as subscribing to Headspace, buying yourself a little plan. It can be all the free stuff that's on YouTube. It can be um, uh, listening to audiobooks or meditations by um, a future guest. And and I would add kind supporter of the podcast through Patreon, uh, Sharon Salzberg, who's really fantastic. If you also want to support the podcast, patreon.com slash Sarah Benincasa is the place to do that. Patreon.com slash Sarah Benincasa. It'll be in the show notes. But um, let's let's be kind to ourselves. Let's give ourselves a break for being human, okay? That doesn't mean we get a pass to be douchebags. 
Just means that if we start to see ourselves engaging in behaviors or thought patterns that are not healthy, we don't beat ourselves up for not being perfect. This is a tough time. There's pressure in our own households, there's pressure in our in our communities, and there's pressure in the nation at large, and there's pressure in the overculture, the the culture that sort of arcs over all of this beyond your particular subculture, your particular family unit, whatever it may be. So it's in the ether, it's in the air. You don't have to be a bit of a hippie like I am to know that when you walk down the street, even six feet away from somebody and they've got a scowl on their face or they look scared that you might absorb a little bit of that or that you might at least notice that they're having that experience. And that might get you wondering, should I be having that experience? You know, that's natural. I mean, codependency is trying to control other people's experience or or the inability to drop boundary between one's own experience and the experience of another. But it is very normal to be empathetic. And um, the psychic load, the emotional load is a lot these days. Even if you shut yourself up in your house and don't talk to anybody else and don't look at anybody else, well, that's going to have an effect on you. That's rough. So we're all going through it. And I send you um, my best wishes for taking care of yourself as best you can. Uh, That said, here is some more mindless promotion, except not mindless. It is mindful because in my mind, I have a dream that you will go to matrushka.com and buy whatever you want made right in Los Angeles by my friend Laura and her small staff designed and made here. And if you hit offer code Sarah or you don't hit it, you type it in, (laughs) offer code S-A-R-A, you get 20% off plus free shipping. And it's beautiful dresses. I mean, I am a person with hips and bosoms and uh, a growing butt. Didn't used to have one, but it's coming in finally. You know, my boobs came in at eight. And uh, my ass came in at 38. So here I am at 39, really living. Go to matrushka.com, check it out. Offer code SARA gets you 20% off. Uh, If you want to go to JeanetteBras.com, pick out what you want. They don't have an online shop set up yet, but um, pick out one of the beautiful bras. Uh, I, I wear an H cup. Jeanette's motto is the alphabet starts at D and praise her for that. They also have a smaller size, more petite sizes, let's say. Go to JeanetteBras.com and you can email info at JeanetteBras.com. Tell them your size, what you want. And uh, I don't know, then you might want 15% off plus free shipping. 15, 15, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 15%, 
But, uh, you know, Steven's cool too. He's on NBC's Indebted and he is a uh, very thoughtful person. Not a fan of the impeached president as as former guest, hopefully future guest again, Alicia Hanna calls that man the impeached president. It's accurate. Stephen Weber, uh, a young man from Queens, also not a fan of the impeached president. <laughs> so, and his co-star Fran Drescher, uh, also not a fan of the impeached president and got some very nice press, <laughs> at least on Twitter, from, from fans who appreciated her saying some things about economic redistribution and, and helping the poor. And, uh, uh, you know, I tell you, some of these actor types, you know, some of them, eh, some of them, they're, they're pretty neat. And, and Steven Weber is, is certainly one of the neat ones. I'll put him in the neat category. So I hope you enjoy. Here we go. One addendum to that intro. Steven and I had some technical difficulties because, um, we're just too sexy. And also, uh, Skype is being finicky. <laughs> We've got, you know, you know how it is if you've been working from home or trying to talk to loved ones. Like, you know, some of Skype gets a little wonky and uh, we had that experience, but we worked it out. We made it happen. So you will hear partway through, I will come back in to to guide you. We, we switch it up a bit. So um, you'll just, you know what, you'll like it. You'll have a good time. I promise. It's a wonderful ride. Stephen Weber, greetings. Oh, oh, and greetings back to you. How how how's the apocalypse treating you? The apocalypse is treating me well. I've been consuming a lot of tacos. You got to see me uh, <laughs> as we were trying to figure Skype out. You got to see me looking. I will say stunning. Um, <laughs> glasses, no makeup, no bra, a Philadelphia T-shirt. Uh, you didn't. You were taco liptic. The taco lips. Might have had food on my face, like I don't know, but ultimately it was, it was. I mean, it was Sarah Benincasa after dark, but during broad daylight. <laughs> how That's are you? right, because time, time, and and lights have no meaning anymore. Yeah, how are you doing? And how is your dog, whose name is Cat? <laughs> um, I'm doing well. I mean, as we were sort of chatting about. Um, this apocalypse uh, is, at least so far, not so bad as uh, apocalypses go. Um, my dog, of course, is like, fuck it. You know, this is like, this is this is my life. Uh, I love this stuff. So it's not a big deal. How old is Cat the dog now? Uh, I think she's about um, a year and three quarters. She's so cute. I, She's very cute. I was very excited when you got her. I don't think I've met her, but I got to see her on these internets and was extremely yeah. delighted. And she, you have, you have two sons and this is yes. uh, the first, I mean, not a daughter, but it's a, it's a fur <laughs> creature that is not a child, but it is, we can assume its gender is female. Very exciting. Yes, uh, she has become a, a giver and bringer of joy, uh, or at least an accompanier of joy, because ever since uh, she came into our lives, things have been much better than they were up till then. Uh, before then, it was 
almost regularly challenging um, uh, in many ways. Uh, but to have this entity who exists to love and be loved and to eat and poop uh, <laughs> is has been kind of revelatory and great for my teens, uh, fantastic for my ex. And um, again, we're all we're all enjoying her uh, her being in the family. She's really cool. She's part um, uh, Jack Russell Terrier and part Dachshund, so she's muscly and quick as a bullet. Uh, but she's also wise and not skittish, like a to use the Kurt Vonnegut phrase, a, a ping pong ball on a frying pan, you know, which is uh, <laughs> and, and endemic to most Jack Russell Terriers, you know, bam, 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 bouncing, bouncing. She's very cool and sweet. It's been great. I'm a new dog owner. We all are, I suppose. So it's uh, in, a, in this family. So it's been great. I am, a, of course, a big fan of, of your children's music and of your ex. Shout out to. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, super hot Juliet baby, baby mama and uh, former <laughs> journalist and now actual most powerful real estate agent in the world, Juliet Honan. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, she's, there's no stopping her. She really needs to be the head of, you know, Smirsh or, uh, you know, just like uh, not Smirsh because that's a that's a kind of villainous company. But, yeah, she needs to head a big corporation, I think, and, and everybody would be much happier. I think that, like, if she was in charge of if she was in charge of, of like, uh, I mean, listen, California, in my opinion, looking at the states, California is doing a really wonderful job so far as of this recording. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. could be doing better. Everybody could, but they're doing a great job. So I'm not saying that Juliet needs to be the governor because I think Governor Newsom is doing a good job. But if she were the governor, I would feel fine. And I can't say that yeah. about most, most of my friends or myself. <laughs> You know, she's, she's brilliantly able in, uh, in almost every category. Uh, there's a part of her, however, that, uh, if you remember the movie Sexy Beast with Ben Kingsley and at the end, not, not, I'll, I'll spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but I don't give a shit. It's the apocalypse. Um, yeah, fuck it. at the, at the, at the end, he's such, he's such an overwhelming, strong character and I'm not equating him with, with Juliet at all because because Ben Kingsley character is a sociopathic villain but he's so fearless and in many respects uh, Juliet um, is has this quality in, in, in the proper context that at the end of this movie after he's killed and his body is concealed buried uh, beneath the bottom of a pool it's uh, it's dug out and um, and his his body is placed there and then it's it's um, covered over in uh, concrete and then filled so nobody would ever suspect this body down there. You see him for a brief second sitting opposite Satan himself, and <laughs> Satan is this like is this like bare chested uh, goat head? You know, I mean, really not not like the Underwood Devil Ham Satan with a beard and like a you know but like a fucking goat and Ben Kingsley is smoking a cigarette and looking at Satan, like the fuck are you looking at? You know? And like, and Satan is like, uh, uh, well, aren't I? But, and, and, and Ben Kingsley is unimpressed. And so that's a long way of saying <laughs> that Juliet, if she were to run this state, would be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Coronavirus. Fuck you. You know, fuck it. You know, I'm going to live till I die type of thing. And people would be like, uh, yeah, but Juliet, you, you don't understand it. You know, you know. Stephen Weber, you Hello. are one of the stars of NBC's Indebted. 
along with yes. Fran Drescher, yes. Abby Elliott, yes. Jesse Hodges, Richard Adam Kind. Richard yeah, Kind. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't need to mention Adam. It's fine. He's no, a minor no, no. part of uh, minor portion of the show. Yeah, I, I, he's barely alive, really. He's Adam's an alive. extra on the show. I think it's <laughs> nice that they let, like, it's cute that you guys let background talk, which I thought was not, um, I didn't think that was part of union rules, but it's cool. Like, it's cool that Pally gets to talk, like, once in a while on the show. Um, so we the show is about him, you. Yes, that's right. It's about me and my <laughs> travails. Yeah, Adam is just like a, a scent. We have Adam Pally scented air fragrances. Yeah, that's it. You, and they're really perfect for using on, like, $900 sneakers. That's oh. it, what, it's actually what it smells, that's what he smells like. His essence yeah. is hype beast sneakers <laughs> in a uh, limited drop. He, yeah, he's a can, sartorial can... psychopath. <laughs> he is. He loves his clothes. He loves his clothes. It's, it's, I, I love I, it. It's admirable. No, he's who. He's one of two people. The other one is my friend Jack Moore, who writes on a show called Dear White People. Adam right. Pally and Jack Moore. Oh, it's wonderful. It's brilliant. And 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 uh, and I don't know why they let Jack write for it because he is a white man. But that's fine. Yeah. Um, I guess because you know he's the white people who they are dearing to. But that's um, right, that's right. <laughs> so like Adam Pally and Jack Moore are the two people in my life who consistently, randomly, out of nowhere, with no introduction, no, hey Pally, how you doing? How are the kids? Hey Jack, how's how's Rupinder? How's your dog Leo? Nothing. <laughs> I just go. Should I fucking buy these and send a screenshot yeah. of some sneakers? <laughs> and I'm like, and you know, they both without missing a beat will jump right in and, and give their yeah. opinion, which I appreciate. Yeah. They're savants. And th uh, they are. And then I, and really then I just are. tap yeah. out. I just say, cool. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. And don't ask how they're doing once again. So it's a very, well, I'm a great friend you, is what I'm trying to say. You tap shoe out. I see what I did? <laughs> yes, I did. You did. You, yeah, okay. you incorporated the yeah. terminology. Right. I turned lemons Listen. into lemonade. <laughs> oh, God, soup. That's what we're all doing now. Well, this is like That's a very random question. Um, but have oh, you ever been asked no. to like, uh, be a part of a scripted podcast? Because I've been listening to one that's very anxiety inducing. Um, and Carrie Coons is on it. It's called Mother Hacker and it stresses me out very much. And it's about a woman who's a bit of a con artist by nature who becomes a, um, a scammer, a phone scammer to provide for her family. And, uh, but it's, it's great, uh, you know, great performances. And I was wondering if, if you've, if you've thought about doing that, maybe you've already done it or if you'd be interested in that. So Stephen and I finally gave up and decided to, to do the interview the way that our ancestors in the old world villages did, which is that he called me, I put him on speaker, I recorded it on the photo booth filming app on my laptop, then I exported the audio only from that and sent it to, uh, to the wonderful Caroline and Jenna at Spoke Media in Dallas, Texas. Please hire them to do lots of things. Anyway, here's the rest of the interview. I'm back with Stephen Weber using an entirely different form of recording than before. Hello, Stephen Weber. It's 1967. <laughs> Can you hear me? <laughs> you sound great, kid. How are things going? An old black ceramic phone. <laughs> 
<laughs> I really wish that we had um, from where I live to where you live, which in normal, which we are not saying where we live, obviously, except that it rhymes with schmashmanderless. In normal, in normal, like rush hour traffic from my house to where you live is yeah. probably. Let's see. I would say it, it it could be anywhere. It could be up to 90 minutes, let's say, in rush yeah, hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at, in the dead of night, when I go to visit my friend Alicia Hanna and Sebastian Roche, who live pretty close to where you live, um, right. or if I'm coming back, it's like 32 minutes. So yeah. right now I think it's probably zero minutes, and I could just walk to your house. Yeah, it's probably, yeah, yeah. It would, it would probably be a, a time deficit. Like we would probably have to owe time. <laughs> yeah, like there's no, yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it, oh, oh well. Here's one thing that's a kind of a coronavirus up uh, upside, which is to say that um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have seen this. That in Italy, in, in Venice, Italy, the canals are clear and teeming with fish. That's so wild. Which means basically humans suck and you know and, and and maybe george um carlin's you know very prescient bit years ago that basically humans were brought about by the universe in order to invent plastic and then and then get the fuck and then get out of the universe because they're useless after that is true maybe maybe we're just slowly getting the message that we don't belong here anymore yeah enough. and like it will be shocking not shocking, but it'll be staggering, I think, the numbers that we'll see when we look at things like emissions and we look at the right. air quality. And we, I even, I wonder what we'll see in terms of people's environmental allergies to, if, if this goes on long enough, if we're going to see people whose kids usually don't feel comfortable playing in the backyard because they get too itchy and scratchy and sniffly, weirdly being able to do it. I'm not saying that, that it's a good thing that is causing certain, like, like the coronavirus situation is not good or great, but we are seeing certain positive things come out of it. Somebody said, this is really good for my skin. A, a young woman who lives in New York. And yeah. we, we realized it was just cause she's not outside getting hit with pollution all the time, all day. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, yes, I, I agree. Since, so far, the main takeaway has been fear, panic, and terror, uh, and, and that's the type. That's been the currency of this particular administration, and um, and you know, and a lot of the media. Just now, you'll hear my bias. All corporate driven. Uh, oh, really? Because I thought you were like very conservative and really into Fox News and like a Republican voter. I'm really surprised uh, to. A lot, of people, a lot of people think that, but mm -hmm. I'm. I'm I'm not. I'm not. I'm like a. I'm just not. But uh, but on the other hand, I miss the same conservatism. I miss the dialogue. I even mm -hmm. miss the likes of the. I guess arguably reprehensible William F. Buckley, who I used to watch the show Firing Line. I used to watch as a kid. And even though I I felt in my bones that I didn't necessarily agree with him, I loved hearing him speak because he he you know he evoked um, uh, the power of education. And, and and thinking and you know polysyllabic words and all those things that I think raise human beings above uh, where you know his his ilk now reside, which is on the fringes of conspiracy and, and division and hatred and and really base 
base values even when it comes to education or the lack thereof. It's not even prized. The way science is prized, the way, again, fringe theories have become mainstream. I mean, this, this is all the stuff that I think, you know, Republicans like Eisenhower or hell, even, you know, warmonger Theodore Roosevelt was incredibly well-read and, and, and even if you didn't agree with their policies, were thoughtful and had life experience as opposed to this kind of, you know, rank and file kind of, um, um, you know, just, just herd mentality kind of uh, republicanism or conservatism. I, I don't like it. I don't like it. And I guess maybe somebody could say the same for liberalism, um, except less credibly. Yeah, well, I think that when the the liberal and then and then farther to the left progressive folks, what what they have going for them, and I consider myself among them, uh, if surprise also, I know I also just seem like a, a Fox News commentator, but surprise, you, me, Ben Acosta and Weber, Weber didn't yeah. vote for Trump, the biggest surprise of the year. <laughs> Listen, if you're from the East Coast, and you are, and I am, you know what this guy was from the beginning. Yeah, he was, he was a piece of shit. He defrauded so many people. He built so many people out of money. There's so many small contractors and bigger, bigger business folk, actually, too, who got screwed over by this jerk. And he's a slumlord. He's a slumlord in Brooks Brothers suit. You know, he's not he's not some guy chomping around a cigar, you know, like Danny DeVito or something like that. Or, you know, he, or Joe Pesci. Wasn't he called The Landlord? Some movie. In, oh, yeah, yeah. Know. He was in The Super or something. I forget the what it super, was. Right? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then he had but, to be forced to live a, in the building. Yeah, Trump is a, is, a, is a feathered and bejeweled slumlord. And everything he does, he speaks that. You know, it's, it's incredible. There's no empathy. Or, he'll, he, he's trying to basically evict the United States so he can raise it and then build some of his stupid uh, properties on and then have, have uh, Russians uh, blah, 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 vomit, 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 liberal, 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 goodbye. <laughs> you were, were you born and raised in Brooklyn or Queens? I like you so much better than Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's a Queens boy. My uncle, I have an uncle who now lives in Connecticut, who is a successful, you know, corporate executive and a good dude and everything. He actually literally grew up uh, in Trump's neighborhood and remembers him from Little League and even remembers him being a dick then. Yeah. yeah, he's always been a dick, and he he was a he has always been rumored to be a golf cheat. Like, and this is going back. This isn't him to do with him running for president. He was always rumored, even among the you know, like even among people who should be his peers. I don't think he's particularly beloved. And then you get to the fact that he was buddy buddy with Roy Cohn, and it's like, my God, Absolutely. we have every evidence in the piece of evidence in the world that this man is a fucking cartoon villain. Well, yeah, kind of, yeah, and, and in a way, bad at it. You know, he's—I feel like he's the type of villain that would be subsumed by the greater villain. Yes, know, that they would look at each other and go, "That's it. Yeah, let's get rid of this asshole. He's costing us too much by being to be flushed away." But on the other hand, who knows? You know, human beings make the same mistakes. They've made the same mistakes for millennia, and. Uh, maybe it's America's turn now to go through some bullshit. And, and one of my favorite um, posturing things to say is, and I, I'll say it now, is that, um, you know, for most of the course of human civilization, it has been, you know, terror and autocracy and superstition and people living under dire conditions. And uh, to use my favorite um, 
Christopher Hitchens phrase, people died of their teeth. You know, if they were lucky, they lived to age 30, you know. And the real anomaly was, you know, the, the kind of democratic republic that is the United States of America, you know, or democracy or any, any bits of enlightenment really comprised only about maybe 300, 400 years. The, what, you know, like the, the, the uh, Renaissance, the Enlightenment, all that stuff. And then the rest is absolute horror and terror. Yeah, and even and, and even through, like, even through the Renaissance and the Enlightenment and, and, and everything, you know, there were, we had legal slavery in, in a lot of right. the Western world. And it's so wild because that's thinking, like, we, even when we've been doing fucking great we haven't been doing that fucking great. So we've still still been doing better and now better than ever before. But then now, like, this exposes so much. Enlightenment isn't a bug. I mean, light, enlightenment isn't a feature. It's a bug. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and then we, because we've been living in a relatively enlightened time. I stuttered. Enlightened time. Um, it's hard to say that word, though. There are certain words that even uh, a trained, uh, eloquent, uh, elocutionist actor, uh, a man of stage and screen, as yourself. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, it is weird. I'm sorry to interrupt you. You're saying really smart things, and I'm interrupting you to say that, like, there are certain words that, that we stumble on inevitably. But, yeah, it's, it's a strange... I realize how spoiled... I'm spoiled for a lot of reasons, uh, or privileged without looking at it, which I suppose is what being spoiled is, right? It's because yes. if you look at how much you have and how fortunate you are, and think about ways in which you can um, give a leg up to others who are just as awesome but didn't start at the same place, like that—that's a way to, to unspoil yourself a bit, hopefully. But I think that when we don't examine our privilege, we don't examine how lucky we are. Uh, we're spoiled. And so I'm looking at all the ways in which I'm like, oh shit, no, no, I'm, I'm spoiled. I, I've been spoiled yeah. by the era in which I, the fact that I live in where I live and I have access to clean drinking water. Right. And a lot of the times I don't even think about that. That's, that's spoiled. Yeah. It's, it's, we're, we're very lucky. I mean, look, in a way living in this country, living in the West has been a two edged sword best of everything and the worst of everything and part of the part of having the best of everything is that you lose a kind of awareness and i, I and i think that empathy isn't necessarily bred uh, it isn't necessarily um genetic it's it's kind of taught mm. and and uh my other crackpot theory is that living in a capitalist society in which people are trying to remove every regulation uh which would thwart profit breeds uh, a lack of empathy in people. And, uh, you know, there was a, there was a moment, um, I feel like it was in the 50s or late 40s, post-World War II, when the United States government made a concerted effort to stop referring to Americans as citizens and, and instead refer to them as consumers. Mm. And while it's, like, you know, I guess on the face of it, a rhetorical, you know, a subtle rhetorical change, it's really not because... Um, I guess normal Judeo-Christian values of morality and, 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 and fair play and thrift and all those things uh, that we've been ingesting for generations, you know, in movies and everything, 
has gone by the wayside. It's now, you know, now we have major shows on TV about the fucking stock exchange and, you know, and, and, and buying and selling. And uh, This is fascinating know. to me, Stephen, because I never even thought about that, that we um, say consumers feel this, consumers, I just, language is so... Um, beautiful and insidious at the same time, but you're absolutely correct. I don't think it's a crackpot theory also in the least that in a society that teaches you uh, that you can elbow other people to get to the top and that's a good thing, that that does, even if you have natural empathy inside you, like let's in theory say that that's there, it can be bred out of you relatively quickly or you can be made to forget it. You can be made to wall off and if it's not inborn and you it has to be taught well you're certainly not learning that lesson so i mean this is if this is just so interesting i'm just thinking out loud as i'm talking to you and i i'm not i'm not trying to by the way plug your show like that's not why i wanted to have you on yes but i was gonna pivot i was gonna pivot and say and like i'm laughing and exposing exposing to the audience that I just wanted to have you on here to um, just talk to you because you're so smart and interesting and I don't get to talk to you enough, but I'm going to pivot to the fact that I'm a commercial fucking hack and uh, NBC's indebted, not a sponsor of this show. But what is seriously interesting to me is that that is a show. It is a multi-camera mainstream family friendly adjacent family friendly sitcom. Uh, that I'm so glad, by the way, that you guys wrapped uh, what you had done up to this point. So you, at least right now, don't have to deal with a lack of an audience or production right. shutdown and stuff. Uh, but, like, that's a show about people who are in debt, literally yeah, and that's metaphorically. Right. That's right. You know, and, and uh, look, uh, there's all sorts of ways to deconstruct this particular show. It, on, on, its, on its face, it is just you know, a fun show, yeah, about people who've lost all their money and they have to move in with their their children. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, no, we all know what that's like. Uh, but the reality is that it's, it, you know, there's a darker, there's a darker uh, side to that situation, of course. And, um, and uh, look, what the show endeavors to do, apart from uh, making people laugh, is, you know, point to that, how kind of profligate and, you know, wasteful, these incredibly good-looking, uh, uh, you know, late middle-aged people, Fran Drescher and myself, stunning, are. stunning. Yeah, by stunning. the way, by the way, shocking that a show that involves you and America's sweetheart Adam Pally would uh, be really dark, uh, and also, I'll just add as a shiksa, very overt Jewish propaganda. I see what you're doing. Trying to convert everyone to your way? Well, it's working. Well, my theory is that either people will really enjoy hanging out with Jews again, or it'll just whip up further anti-Semitism. So time will tell. I think the president's better at that, uh, and I think he's real good at it. So sorry. I think I do. In all seriousness, though, I've seen a few uh, young Jewish writers online talking about how it is exciting to see a family. That one person phrased it as unapologetically Jewish, another person, uh, which is an interesting, interesting way to phrase it and sort of shows you what what that person has had to deal with as a Jewish person in the world. I think I don't think that 
unapologetically Jewish phrasing came from nowhere. I think they were speaking from experience about having to move in spaces where they had to explain themselves all the time. Somebody else uh, just said like loud and proud Jewish and somebody else just said a funny Jewish family. We don't have a lot of um, it's it's been a minute. I mean, there are examples, but where. Uh, Judaism is just, I think, woven into the story of a, of a mainstream multicam sitcom. Like that's just that's just the deal. Well, it is, you know, and it obviously it, it is it is a, um, a I guess an observable characteristic of this particular family. Certainly, much more in um, in uh, myself and Fran. Uh, but the thing is that um, well, two things. One, uh, there's a certain kind of Jewish person who is naturally self-effacing and even. Uh, ashamed of being, you know, overtly Jewish. So uh, unapologetically Jewish in this case is, you know, as a Jew, I can say that that there are things about certain facets of Jewry which make me nauseous. Did you just say Jew? Did you just say Jewry? (laughs) (laughs) Stephen, I want the pull quote from this episode to just be Jewry, period. Stephen Weber. See whoever talks jewelry, <laughs> not like Jewy, Jewy, Jewy. Like he speaks in a jewelry way. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, also, what an old school, old school uh, term. But please yeah. go on. I'm interrupting a very intelligent uh, lived experience uh, anecdote. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Now uh, no, it, it just seems to me that you know the show mostly, I think, captures a a familial. And in this case, yes, Jewish, if, if one needed to categorize it, but a familial dynamic that is absolutely present in Italian families, Greek families, mm-hmm. um, African-American families, uh, Asian families. You know, it's, there's, this, there's this crazy dynamic between mother and son and that son-in-law and daughter who's out of the faith or whatever it is. And, you know, much in the way, like, you know, I, my, one of my favorite shows of all time is Sanford and Son, and I will still watch it. And not least because I love Red Fox and Demond Wilson and I forget the actor's name who played Rollo, you know, and, and LaWanda Page, who played Aunt Esther. And if anybody's out there listening who remembers Aunt Esther, LaWanda Page was a fairly successful comedian on the Chitlin circuit, you mm-hmm. know, and filthy, dirty, filthy, dirty and hilarious. But the point I'm trying to make is that... Um, you know, I, 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 was, I was a Jewish, a white Jewish, skinny white, pimply Jewish kid growing up in Queens who loved everything Sanford and Son. And I wasn't, I wasn't a black kid, you know, but I got it. I got everything he was saying and doing and, you know, and, and dug it. And, and, and I'm feeling or I'm hopeful that that's the case with this show. You know, we, I talk about Sanford and Son not as a black show, an African-American show. And just as a hilarious show about this particular, you know, father and son. And similarly, I think hopefully this show is debted while obviously it exhibits all these characteristics that are, I guess, inherently Jewish. They're more deeply ingrained in most, you know, ethnic families. Yeah, and it's it's Ooh, relatable because it's, myself. you did a great job. You hit very important talking points, and it all made sense, and I liked it, and it felt great and genuine. As your publicist, I feel great. But, seri- <laughs> but seriously, like, it... it there is something about there's something about watching a show and it does not that's that's the beauty of art right that's the beauty of television um one of the many wonderful things about it is that you end up welcoming people into your home there are people who watch the show who've never met a jewish person or if they have they didn't know it and 
they might not even have clocked the family as as Jewish based on anything yeah. other than if there's an actual reference. But right. they're welcoming them. Humor is a way to to soften people's defenses so that you can really tell them something, I think. Um, and so spending time in the bathtub uh, on your iPad, don't do that, or in on the couch in front of your TV set or whatever, spending time with families that don't look like yours or their accent isn't the same as yours, but they act like yours is really wild. And for me as a kid growing up in the homogenous white rural, that's a word I have trouble with, rural, rural, rural part of New Jersey where a lot of the kids I went to school with came from farms or just came from a rural area. Like seeing sitcoms that were diverse, uh, as in not all white people, that was the, that was absolutely how I even knew that there were people who didn't look like me out in the world, much less. And, and a lot of times like, I didn't tune in because I was like, ooh, let me see what these others are like. I tuned in because they felt like they felt like people who would be my friends and they were going through stuff I was going through. Um, And the fact that there was representation of a different religion or a different skin color or whatever was kind of icing on the cake. But it 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 does help people like it does help open people's minds. And as long as it's funny or entertaining, I think people will watch, you know, They'll, they'll watch just about anything, regardless yeah. of whether it feels super familiar. Just looking at it feels familiar. I mean, obviously, it helps if there's something that you can relate to. You know, not, not it's not necessary 100, percent but also um, I feel like there's something um, interesting about what you're saying because um, about people who have never met certain different people. And part of the thing that that bugs me about social media and social interaction is that it's more antisocial interaction mm. it, 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 it doesn't discourage a kind of passivity you never ever have to meet somebody in person you never have to have a tactile experience with someone else but every time you, you do suddenly there's a moment of enlightenment that occurs like oh we're the same people or or, or something like that i mean, case in point is that my cousin a long time ago married a greek girl and so we had this big wedding down at the South Street Seaport. Oh, I love it. And, and suddenly there were these elderly Greeks and elderly Jews and young Greeks and young Jews. And, I mean, after a few minutes, they were indistinguishable. The elders had beards and everybody danced in a circle and, <laughs> and, and spoke with lots of phlegm. And, and everybody got drunk and had a great time and it was a huge lesson. It was everybody, and you saw it on everybody's face. Like I'm sure there was, you know, in you know my my um, my cousin-in-law. I don't know how you call her, but my cousin's wife's Kathy, who's, who's a Greek. I'm sure you know they were saying like, oh, she's marrying the Jew. You know, like, oh my God, that's disgusting. You know, and I'm sure my there are people in my family are saying, oh, the Greeks. You know, what are, what's what's happening? Uh, Pythagoras. You know, Pythagoras. <laughs> but then, but then in the middle of the wedding, you can see. Everybody's eyes were like wide open. With their faces, their expressions were wide with wonderment. Holy shit! You know, ancient cultures, they're the same fucking people! Ah! You know, that's the joke at the end of the day. We're the fucking same! And that's how the viruses brought us together. Dun dun dun! Hey! Ta-da. Steven Weber, everybody. Steven Weber for coronavirus. It ain't that bad. A campaign. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, yeah, it's 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 
Oh, what a beautiful thing that must have been to see. I mean, that's a that's a movie scene in my head. Uh, at, for, also, South Street Seaport is a wonderful setting for that. But that's yeah, really it's, I it's, I extra- it's extraordinary, and it's so what a what a beautiful thing. Yeah, to be like, oh wait, none of our elders will say no to a nice piece of baklava. How wonderful! Yeah, well, 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 it, it, and, you know, and really, old pastries are alike, too. I mean, come on. <laughs> no. What the fuck is wrong with people? And that, you know, there's so much of this kind of purposeful decision. You know, it's that Naomi Klein kind of shock doctrine. We can make money from destruction kind of shit, you know. Um, and and, and eh, 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 more liberal, more liberal, more liberal bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Good night. Blah. No, I love it. It's This is my kind of bullshit. I'm a big fan of it. Um, I wanted to know what it was. This is very random, but, um, well, no, it's not random. Why am I saying that? Hey, Sarah. Hey, let me just have a talk with myself for a moment. Hey, Sarah, you're good enough. You're smart enough. Just go with it. Hey, thanks, Sarah. Okay, cool. And we're back. I know. Mm, That's my inner monologue all day. (laughs) No, but I'm wondering, um, how, you know, you've got, uh, and we of course want to support and protect their privacy. They are wonderfully talented young musicians, but you've got two teens. How did it affect you as a dad, knowing that, um, one of your teens, one of your stunning teens would have to come home from college and would have to like be safe. And I mean, how does that, cause this is your first, first year as a college parent. Second. Yes. First year. First. Yeah. So that's um, a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. Uh, uh, well, you know, it's, it's a bit of a complex question on the face of it. You know, at first we were thinking before the shit really hit the fan that, oh, maybe you should stay out there at school. Maybe you shouldn't fly and this and that. And then in a matter of hours we thought, no, come home, come home, come home. We need to be together. And um, and so we got him home quick. Um, it's, it's odd because there are those kinds of decisions. Uh, I suppose if I... If I, if I didn't have kids, or if I were away, I would have. I, I guess I would have played it safe and said, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna quarantine myself out here in the woods where his college is, and uh, and it's pretty goddamn isolated and depressing. And he, frankly, he doesn't like it <laughs> just, for that for that very fact. It's just there's nothing to do. Now, there'd be even less to do. And um, anyway, I, I, I guess. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm glad I'm glad he's home. I'm glad we're all together. This is an important, uh, grave kind of moment um, in our mingled generations, and uh, we've never quite been challenged in this way. So I would much rather be together. You know, I'd much rather uh, go out golfing as a family. And you are also one of the only <laughs> families where if I know that I'm going to see um, one of the formerly married individuals, uh, there's like a reasonable chance I'll see the other one. Like not definitely, but it's one yeah. of it, it with most people. It's not even a question. And I, I really appreciate that without delving into your personal life, but hopefully it's appropriate to say, I, I really appreciate um, that example of how uh, the two of you um, have navigated in ups and downs and different things. And I don't mean that it's perfect. Nothing is, but like, it's cool to be like, Oh yeah, these people are family. I mean, when I met you, it was I showed up at your Thanksgiving. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, we had been internet. We had been internet friends, a sort of a little bit. Mutual friend of Debbie Liebling, right? Oh. Liebling and Alan Cohen. And oh. The gems. These people are gems. Alan, um, I, I don't. I'm, I'm just going to say this. Uh, Alan texted me the other day when when 
you know, people were really kind of panic buying and stuff, and, and I was doing it too. He texted me, said, uh, "I just drank an entire bottle of ketchup. Uh, I had to, <laughs> I had to, I had to beat a guy up in the parking lot to get it, or something like that." And then, and then he said something really fucking gross. Alan Cohen, but, one of the funniest people. Oh, amazing! Alan Cohen, married to super producer, super yeah, producer Debbie Liebling. Who's yeah. amazing. Deb, Debbie is part of, for those of you listening, uh, if you've never watched Hulu's Pen15, Debbie Liebling has been a part of many, 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 many wonderful oh. films and TV shows and stuff over Borat. the years. Borat, even. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and like yeah. 18 million other things. But I have, I have to shout out for, you know, Pen15 has a really loving audience in the, sort of in the way that Schitt's Creek did, like the first few seasons before it went wider. If you haven't seen Pen15, I strongly encourage you to see it. And uh, Debbie Liebling uh, is is an executive producer on that show, and she is wonderful. And I had worked on a project with her and Diablo Cody in the past. And one yeah. year I didn't have – I think it was my my last – was it my last drunk – it was my last drinking Thanksgiving. I did not have – I wasn't going home. And so Debbie invited me to come with her, and she asked if – if uh, if Juliet, if they are dear friends, uh, if I could come, and she said yes, and so I was I was welcomed into the the Hone and Weber household. It was so it was lovely. Fun. It was very it was meaningful, fun. and it meant a lot to good. my parents as well that I was with good, among good. among good people. Um, but it was funny. It was funny to meet my Twitter pal. That's right. In real life, which happens well, sometimes in this weird world now. I had a I had a similar experience with Sarah Silverman years back, oh. um, where we uh, never met, but. I was really going apeshit on Twitter, I want to say, like, maybe 10 years ago, and really without a care in the world what I was saying or who I would offend. And I mean, I was really, I was kind of a mess. Talk about not having empathy. I, I, hadn't, I, I, I didn't realize that, you know, if you, if, you, if you said something, somebody somewhere could be hurt by it, not just offended, you know, but, but really hurt. I had no clue what I was doing. But once in a while, a funny thing would be, tweeted by me and she uh liked them and so you know i was of course thrilled because she's so great and famous and all that stuff and, and i met her on a plane once and but then we became friends after that which was really cool to meet these people in real life again that's the that's the one component that uh, social media doesn't doesn't provide the actuality of of inter you know, inter, what is it, inter, inter, interconnecting with people or connecting with people. I would call it almost like a Victorian epistolary friendship when we form these friendships, yes. except yeah. that a lot of times until we take it to private messaging, a lot of it plays out in public at first. So it's like we're writing these long letters to each other that in short bursts that everybody can see, which makes it inherently right. performative. And then when we, and then there's sort of the negotiation of, well, is it appropriate for me to speak to this person privately? And when it is, and it often is, then it becomes to me, that's when I think the Victorian epistolary uh, friendship becomes real because we're actually just writing back and forth to each other. But it is really fun when, whether it's gone that deep or it's just uh, jokes in front of other people and just chatting at, at a very noisy party is what it feels like when we run into each other in person. Like it's very, uh, it's a very fun thing because sometimes it's a surprise. And I, I've had times where I ended up talking to somebody at a party for about 15 minutes before we realized that we laugh at each other's jokes every day, right, <laughs> right, right, right. which is really cool. I also noticed that you don't pronounce the T in epistolary, but you pronounce the T in often. 
often. I think it's, uh, well, I'm from a small, um, it's a small republic called New Jersey. And ah, it's fucking, New Jersey either. It's, it's fucking great. <laughs> it's amazing. And you know how many times in my life somebody has said to me, and some of them very, um, people I think are, are pretty aware of what's going on in the world, very engaged individuals, very, you know, generally kind of curious about the world around them. They have asked me and they get this look on their face right before they ask it. And then they lower their voice and they go, so I just have always wondered this. New Jersey, is it part of New York City? That's I get asked that at least once, once a year, once a year since I was 18 years old. Oh, my God. And I say, no, I say no, but that now I used to be like, what? But now I say, no, but that's a common misconception because then people tend to get very embarrassed because they say, no, no, it's, it's the third smallest state. It's the most densely populated state. And then people get nervous and embarrassed. And I go, no, why would you know that? There's no reason, even though, of course, you should know that. But like, it's fine. Like, I, I can't imagine what people from the Dakotas here or the Carolinas, where I've spent a lot of time. Like, there's <laughs> people from the Dakotas here. <laughs> But they're so tall and cute and like they're really, so tall. Oh, they're talking about good skin. Oh, oh. They're so tall, these Dakotas people. If you're Dakotans. if you're from the Dakotas, not the Dakota, uh, if you're Rosemary's actual baby, please oh, <laughs> feel free. Oh well, I I thought about watching it the other night, um, and I thought, Sarah, don't do that. Come on, it's a perfect film. No, it's perfect. It is perfect. It is perfect, and I should not watch it by myself. Well, it's not even terrifying anymore uh, to me because I've seen so many times. There's just so much brilliance uh, in the acting and the writing and the editing and the directing and the lighting and the music. It's uh, it, that, that the scary part is even it doesn't even it's, it's barely worth a mention. I can watch <laughs> The Shining by myself now. That's a good point. I can watch The yeah, Shining by myself. Um, okay. But I, yeah, oh, that's interesting, because when, when, you, when you lock into it, because the Rosemary TV is, is brilliant, when you lock oh. into it, um, maybe it's like the weird, maybe it's vestiges of my Catholic upbringing or something, I don't well, know. yeah, I, mean, I could see that, because look, even as a Jew, and I, I even flirted with Christianity, because I just thought it was cooler, like I was a big James Joyce guy in college, and loved all that stuff and i even used to go to churches in new york city because they just smelled better than synagogues you know <laughs> and, and, the, and the, the the music was better and i you know i loved all the chanting and the you know kind of the moaning <laughs> and and the, the incense it was great incense is cool but jews oh, are always going to be cooler to me like man, they, they make you funnier generally definitely funnier no but there's an aesthetic to you know to St. Patrick's Cathedral oh. is insane, you know. Or, or it's it's amazing. It's amazing. Anyway, um, that was the thing. Never mind. Oh, I think you were talking about how uh, you're using this podcast as oh. an excuse to refute Judaism. No, but no, just that, like Rosemary's Baby, yeah, and the and the symbols of like the Exorcist scared the shit. Mm. Like to this day, I don't I don't even mind zombie stuff anymore. But if I see if I'm if I'm going through the channels, uh, you know, on the guide or whatever on TV, if I see you know, the exorcism of Emily Rose, or mm -hmm. this, I, I, I want nothing to do with that stuff because also online, the, on YouTube, that you can find supposedly real footage of people who are really being exercised and 
And that is so terrifying to me and sad. Awful. Anyway. I don't like it. And it's scary and it's sad. And it is a, I mean, I am a, you know, I am a sober person who uh, follows a a group that does a spiritual solution. And I believe in a higher power and all that stuff. So if you're you're listening, uh, this is not somebody who refutes the existence of, of God. And listen, I think, I wish I were an atheist, because I think atheists, quite frankly, are correct, but I still believe in God, so there you go, and I've accepted it. Well, you could be spiritual, you know, without being literal. I mean, if it helps. Oh, yeah, well, I'm... I'm it helps put focus to things in the real world. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy, you know, I enjoy, I, I always enjoyed, uh, even though I, I strongly disagreed with some of his opinions, I enjoyed Hitchens very, very much. I enjoy oh, yeah. Dawkins, uh, even though these people are pain in the ass sometimes, but you know what? Some yeah. of, They make some great points. So this is, I'm just prefacing this by saying to people who are listening, who are believers of whatever kind, uh, I was coming up with something from this. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, exorcisms are bullshit. Exorcisms are deeply manipulative, uh, oh. and I would say deep, deep abuse yeah. um, of, deep of abuse. somebody experiencing uh, symptoms of mental illness that are very frightening yes. and scary. And I understand culturally in certain cultures, and it may not, they may not use the word exorcism. There is a place for this that is that can be healing. I truly understand that. Not everything it's has called, to be. It's called taking an improv class. Yeah. <laughs> Just take a fucking improv class, Reagan. Go, go to UCB. Go to UCB. Go to the pit. Go, go to, to wherever. Go to the groundlings. Go be a fucking groundling. Just do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stephen Weber, by the way, this has been a delight. Um, you are a, a wonderful human, and I maybe if you You're ever welcome. want to talk on the podcast again, you can because I do it every fucking day. Well, uh, if you if uh, somebody blacks out or or. Uh, or it says take a powder and uh, just give me a call. I'll be there because God knows we're not doing anything for a little while. I know. Well, where where can the humans who listen to well, this isn't normal. Find more things about you and you watch your art, your art and stuff. Oh, um, well, I am on NBC's Indebted, which is Thursday nights, nine thirty Eastern, or uh, six thirty Pacific, which is seven thirty Mountain and eight thirty Central. Nice. And uh, yeah, I, I'm making that up and. Um, I oh now's a good time to binge watch um, Get Shorty, which is an epic and Netflix series with Chris O'Dowd and Ray Romano. I, I play a reprehensible at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also on Thirteen Reasons Why. I play stiff uh, uh, dickhead on that. Uh, <laughs> I've uh, played some horrible guys for years. That do this role on this dresser thing is so sweet. Do you like Such that nice you you like evolved from like rakish like. He's quirky oh, and hot to like well, this guy's a fucking rich dick to like oh, I'm an old Jewish grandpa and I love it. Right. It's so <laughs> funny said. to me. Uh, uh, somebody like commented on that. Uh, God, what was it? It was the spoof that you and Pally did from NBC's The More You Know campaign. Oh, you know, that's right. Which yeah. your timing in that is really wonderful, like delightful. <laughs> I may I say. Um, and somebody, I saw this comment that was like. Even when he's playing a grandpa, Stephen Weber has hardcore zaddy status. And I was like, what is zaddy? Zaddy is like a daddy you want to fuck. 
Like, which is a daddy, a daddy. Okay. So like a daddy. Okay. So like a daddy is like, you know, maybe an older man or just a man with more status who's like hot and that can girls and guys will say that like, it's for the gays. It's for the straights. It's for the vibes. It's for whatever. Then like a zaddy, which is like Z A D D Y. And it can sometimes, sometimes it's like a little bit of an older gentleman, not super old. Right. But we're talking like, uh, like maybe he's graying around the temples. Like he's, a you know, a zaddy, but it also looks a lot like Zadie. <laughs> no, no. Younger than that. Younger than that. Younger than that. Like, well, maybe him. See, he, he's a hard one to clock because he looked the same for 30 years. He absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> He was graying at the temples when he was a teenager. Wait, I'm looking up the definition of zaddy right now because getting to tell you this, because this is what you are, is like the great pleasure of my life. Okay, okay. So so sometimes it's not necessarily older. Um, It's a noun used for handsome, fashionable, sexy man with swag. It can also be used to imply sexual roles like a more dominant role but here's the thing it doesn't always indicate it doesn't always indicate older but like sometimes it indicates like slightly older and it really depends let me tell you this okay here we go you ready i just looked this up right i'll I'll pull your hair yeah i'll pull your hair please do this while he's having sex be like okay yeah you, you want me to pull your hair? <laughs> uh, okay, pull your hair. If that's what you want, I'll pull your hair. Are you doing a Larry David impression? All right, I'll pull your hair. This is the greatest Larry David impression. <laughs> okay, okay, so it sounds like maybe I flipped it. Oh, my gosh, okay. A daddy is an attractive older man. A zaddy, this is according to Esquire from June 15th, 2018. So this is real. And, uh, and it's yeah. very real. While a daddy is an attractive older man, a zaddy is a man with swag who is attractive and fashionable. It appears that it has less to do with age. Oh, it sounds like I flipped it. At any point, this lady said that um, even though you're playing a grandpa now, you're still a zaddy. And then somebody said oh. he can get it. And I was like, wow, I'm so proud oh. of Steven. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's exhausting. I know. Thank you so much. It was a lot. I th- maybe like Adam is a zaddy and then you're a daddy because you're like the older one. I don't know. Anyway, some people were like fetishizing your portrayal of an older man who doesn't understand the remote control is what I'm trying to tell you, which feels like <laughs> it was unpre- It was unprecedented. Well, I hope uh, hope it helps me, you know, get some at some point. <laughs> you can be on Zaddy Raya or Daddy Raya. <laughs> Daddy Raya. <laughs> but it and also looks... You can be on Zadie Raya. There's Zadie on Zadie Born. I think you and Adam in in that promo were Zaddy and Zadie Born. He's going to... I hope he never listens to this because if he does, he's going to want to die. Um, and that's, that's one of the fun parts about being friends with Ben and Casa. You know, you get a lot of, you get a lot of affirmation, a lot of approval. It's going to be weird though. Yeah. She'll turn your other friends against you, but in a very, in a very loving way. Um, so everybody watch NBC's indebted. Look up when it is where you Steven, where you live. Steven said it, but I'm confused. Uh, but it's on Thursdays. It's must see TV probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, must be yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I will talk to you, uh, my friend, soon. I'm just gonna stop recording and and say, oh wait, wait, what's your Twitter? What's your Twitter? Uh, it's at the Stephen Weber. But you know what? I'm getting off it. I can't stand it anymore. I'm. 
Don't Twitter follow me on Twitter. It's a rage aggregator. It's killing me. So, in fact, I didn't tweet all day today, and I feel great. Oh, that's great. So, yeah, so Steven's so. going to nuke his Twitter. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> so that's his soon to get, get get in while the getting's good, uh, yeah. only to see it die. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. And that was my interview with the delightful Stephen Weber. NBC Indebted is on, surprise, NBC. You can go check it out there if you so desire. (sighs) Well, this is another one that I'm recording in the middle of the night um, because I couldn't sleep. And I know that's happening for a lot of people now. We're having these weird sleep disturbances. And, um, you know, for me, it's like, I have to get up really early for work. So sometimes I'm really tired in the late afternoon when I finish. So I try not to take a nap. I try to power through and go to bed at nine o'clock, but sometimes I take a nap and then we have a situation where it's 2am and here we are. If you've been typing a lot, which I have, and you start to experience wrist soreness and, um, stuff that feels carpal tunnel syndrome E. I use some wrist guards at night, which you can just Google and find and, and they're helpful. You sleep in them and that's it. You don't like type in them or anything. Sleep with them on at night and um well, maybe I am getting tired again. You know what? I'm not editing that out. I mean not that I edit this anyway. Again, the helpful people at Spoke Media do that. But um we're all in this together you guys if you can get yourself if you have to type uh, get yourself a a gel like wrist cushion get yourself an external mouse try to ergonomify your situation and if you don't do those things if you are somebody who is delivering food um, or working in a, a, a necessary or essential service if you are a healthcare worker Um, Thank you to all of you. Thank you for continuing to do your job. Thank you for working really hard. I know you must be very tired beyond anything I could comprehend right now, especially those healthcare workers. That's who I really mean is probably super exhausted right now. And um, thank you for your service. Thank you very much for your service. And also, I hope that this podcast is helping distract you or provide you some comfort. That's very meaningful. I've, I got um, a few messages from abroad, one from Italy and one from Spain recently that were very meaningful to me. And I, I really appreciate that people in those countries who are seeing the level of, of destruction and, and pain that they are seeing uh, might might be able to access this resource and that it might bring them some comfort. And I'm honored that you human, wherever you are, are listening. I thank you for that. You can get in touch with me, Sarah at sarahbenincasa.com. If you have a question, comment, concern, you want some advice or tips or something, if I feel that I can provide it, I I will do so on the podcast and I can keep you anonymous. That's sarah at sarahbenincasa.com. Also, you can message me through Patreon if you are a subscriber for as little as a dollar a month there, by the way. It's not expensive. Patreon.com slash sarahbenincasa. 
please support the Actors Fund, actorsfund.org, for everyone in entertainment. And please consider fostering or adopting an animal. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.